Jim asked me a couple weeks ago if I'd give a short two-minute introduction today, and I said I'd be thrilled. The, as I meditated about what to say and to have some impact prior to his talk, today I, I reminisced about meeting him 50 years ago this past July, <laughs> believe it or not. And we were 15 years old. I was down here visiting a friend and ran into Jim, and all of a sudden, this tenacious 145-pounder is in my face about a competitor having attended Porter Gowden. I was a Christ school up in Asheville. All he could talk about, and I was about 185 or 190, was his prowess on the football field and the Porter Gowden team. And I thought, this is unbelievable. Well, little did I know. <laughs> Little did I know that that tenacity would follow him the rest of his life. And I've watched this for these, the half, a, half a century, which is hard to believe. I mean, truly, it's hard to believe. But he has carried that tenacity through conversations related to his relationships with family, careers, friends, and, of course, the path for his relationship with Christ. And I remember... Years ago, an 80-year-old uncle of mine, before he died, wrote me a letter. In fact, it was a 27-page letter about his life. And he ended it this way, and I want to end this for Jim this way, too. He said, in, in the end, John, it's your God, your family, and your friends that give meaning to our time on this earth. Gentlemen, it's a great pleasure and honor for me to introduce to you James Mitchell Stelling. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, you know, I thought about what I'd say uh, to John, so I'll say it now. There are friends, and there are friends, and John has been a very dear friend to me for those 50 years. I, I, did, I did weigh 155, how I... <laughs> um, before I get started, uh, how many of you have either small grandchildren or small children? Can I just see a... Okay, so you can appreciate... This past weekend, for nine days, my wife and I uh, have been babysitting for our only grandchild, who is 14 months old. And cabin fever set in with the rain, so if I break out talking like Big Bird, please forgive me. Um, I am uh, both honored and um, humbled to be here today. Um, I am not known as a reserve-shy person. Uh, but when it comes to my faith, I'll have to be very honest with you, it's, it's a very intimate, private relationship that I've had over the years. I also know that we are charged to, um, with evangelical uh, discipleship, and that's something that, uh, as part of my private life, that I have to work on. That's something that is, is constantly that I have to think about and do a better job with. So you say, well, how'd you get up here today? Well. About a year ago, I had uh, left the office, wanted to go hit some practice balls, um, minding my own business, Hank, and I get a phone call, and I didn't recognize the number. I thought, I don't want to take that. And I thought, well, it could be a client. I, maybe I better take that. So I answered the phone, hey, Jim, Hank Avan here. Wow, Hank, how you doing? 
He said, I'd like you to consider giving your testimony uh, at the Wednesday lunch, either at the turn of the year or during the spring. I said, Hank, this, you know, that's kind of a private deal for me. I, I'm not sure I could muster the uh, courage to do that. He said, well, you think about it and pray about it, and we'll get back together. Well, the year came and went, the spring came and went. I said, oh, God, thank you so much. I, I didn't have to say no, so I'm open, still in pretty good stead up there. Uh, and about three weeks ago, um, the phone rings in my office. Don't know the number, could be a client. Hey, Jim, Hank Avan here, how are you? Oh, 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 Hank, how are you doing? He says, I'd like you to talk at the October 7th luncheon about your faith. I said, Hank, Hank, you remember about the private part and all that? You remember we talked about that? He said, well, look, you, you pray about it and think about it, and uh, we'll get back together. Well, with a date certain, I had to think about it and pray about it. And I want you to know I did pray about it. Um, and when I was on my knees, I'd pray in the morning. Um, I guess it was the Holy Spirit or whatever. There was no place to hide now. A decision had to be made. Um, so I remember the scripture, to be honest with you. It's Matthew 10, 32, 33. This is the new version. Can you all hear me? Uh, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father was in heaven. I had no place to go, so here I am. Um, <clears throat> just along those lines of faith, my mom died uh, about 18 months ago, just 30 days shy of being 90. I see Randall and some of my friends here who knew her. Um, she was at Sandpiper, and, and uh, I would often go by Thursday and have a drink. That was a ritual. If I would fix her a bourbon, she thought Jim Beam was a fine cocktail, so we did that. And we just talked, and <clears throat> towards the, um, the end, end there, I, I said, you know, I, I need to find out where my mom's faith is. I've got to get up some courage to do this. So I went one Thursday. I said, look, before we have a cocktail, could, could I just have a conversation with you? She said, well, sure, son, sure. So I said, Mom, I, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? She looked at me, and she said, let me tell you something, Jim Stelling. I know where I'm going when I die. Now get me my damn drink. <laughs> <clears throat> um, my faith, like everybody in this room, is, has been a journey. Uh, many good times, a few bad times, but God has always been there. Um, as I take you on my journey, I want to reflect three themes that are relevant to my testimony. Um, one was a um, sermon by Jim Hampson, who's a former rector at St. Philip's, uh, and he talked about uh, life as a quilt and that God is the ultimate designer of that quilt. Um, just recently, I golly, probably less than a month ago, Jack Owens, one of our clergy, talked about how God had pursued him all of his life. Uh, and he made no mistake about that. God did pursue. God pursued me as well. Uh, and another uh, thought that I've always followed is when God opens doors, it's up to us to listen, trust, and act. So here's a brief description of my journey of faith and how God designed my quilt. We all have one, and thanks be to God for that. I was born in Charleston in 1950. Yes, I'm 65, those of you who want to do the math. Had a pristine life, grew up in the country club, played golf, swam, skied, went to camp, picture-perfect family, two brothers, mom, dad, dogs, went to private school. 
uh, baptized, confirmed, attended St. Philip's Sunday School Acolyte, a great but sheltered life. Then at age 12, uh, my world went upside down. Uh, my father had made some very poor business investments and had been unfaithful to my mom. Uh, he moved to Savannah in April of 1963 without many financial resources. Mom went to work for the first time in her life, stood six days a week on her feet at a dress shop. Uh, the house was foreclosed on and um, the boys were embarrassed. We were the only couple, only family we knew who got a divorce in 1963. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, I, I've written this in, in bold letters here. I was angry with God and I let him know it. Um, only a 12-year-old, though, would pick a fight with God, but I didn't know any better at the time. After the dark, however, there's always light. Friends and family reached out to us. We moved in with our grandmother. Mom's side of the family was large, and we received needed support from them, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, etc. God was actually at work in my life. Berkeley Grimble allowed me to stay at Goud School and later Porter Goud School on a scholarship, which I know enabled me to get a scholarship to the University of Virginia. Uh, married the love of my life after graduation, had a beautiful daughter. Nine years later, two wonderful 20-plus careers, and I am here before you today to tell you that God is still at work in my life. Looking back, it is clear that he pursued me, uh, as he does all of us. Uh, problem was, for a long time, I just didn't know it. I didn't recognize it. Um, let me share a few events, if I may, personal events of my life as God continued to sew my quilt together. My first real deeply personal Christian experience occurred at Young Life. A uh, bunch of us went out on a busload to Colorado. I didn't have $50. A gentleman by the name of Hewitt Paul paid my $50. Uh, and we went out there. And uh, after a Bible study, um, they asked everyone who wanted to to come up and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, gosh, everybody went, so I thought, I'm still angry with God, but maybe I better go on up there with everybody, which I did, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I tell you this because I had, at that moment in time, an unbelievable presence, an unbelievable, it was like, an, like pressure coming into me. I didn't pay a lot of attention to it at the time or many years after that, but when I reflect back on it as a feeling I can still feel today, I never had it again, didn't have it before. But... Looking back on it now, I knew what had happened. Uh, I recently read Charles Stanley's devotional series. I, I read Charles Stanley's devotion in the mornings. Um, once we receive Jesus as our Savior, we are promised that God's Spirit indwells us and will never leave. And I want you to know I'm a living example of that. I just didn't know it at the time. Through high school and college, I lived a life in Charleston like many out in the audience did. We drank, uh, drank hard, studied hard, drank beer at Big John's <laughs> and wondered where we'd party the next weekend. That was very important. As I mentioned earlier, I married my uh, childhood, my, my high school sweetheart in 72, went to work, and I'll be honest with you, when I went to work, I, went, I wanted to get ahead. I worked hard, and I wanted to make money. I didn't want the same thing happen to me that happened to my father. Um, but I always had faith. I just didn't have time for it. Um, after, um, then in 81, uh, a miracle came along in the person of our daughter, Kathleen, 
and really my perspective on life changed overnight. We wanted the best for her. Um, we wanted her to grow up in the church, and she did. She cemented her faith down at um, at um, St. Christopher, both as a camper as well as a, as a staff member. Um, after this miracle of my daughter um, came probably one of the greatest regrets of my life. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my father had moved to Savannah. His life was pretty, uh, pretty meager down there. He'd fallen, fallen far, and back in the early 60s, um, he, at least for, for me and us, the, the divorce was separation, final separation. I probably didn't see my father for six times in 20 years, and the last 10 years of his life, probably not at all. Um, Kathy and I often talked about, you know, we need to go down there and just let him know we're fine. Um, show him this granddaughter, and if, relieve him if he was carrying any baggage or concern about us, he didn't need to. Um, I had forgiven him in my heart, and, um, and I know through God's help I did that. But I also have this human side um, that unfortunately took over. And I delayed, I didn't have time to go, I did this, I didn't have time, I can't go, I'm, I don't know about that, I don't want to do that. And um, sadly in summer of 1982 he died. Um, and um, three boys went down to the funeral and when I got home, I cannot describe um, the catharsism that I went through. I, I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. Here I was having a blessed life, a wonderful life. He had really lost what he knew as a Charleston life. And somehow my pride didn't allow me to say, hey, 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 I'm okay. And it's a regret that I, that I, that I just carry with me. And so what do I do about that? Um, I try to make forgiveness a priority in my life. I really do. I'm, 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 uh, I don't want that to ever happen to me again. During the next several years, we became more involved in the church. Andy Anderson's prodding, I joined the finance committee. I attended a Friday morning Bible study. My faith was definitely growing as I read and studied scripture. Fast forward now to the restoration of the sanctuary in the early 90s. Uh, George Green was the building committee chair and our firm was selected to do the restoration. That was my first 20 year career. The project required um, pretty much daily contact between George and myself through design and all through construction, the multi-year project. And um, that's when two Christian parishioners became close personal and professional friends. And I would express this as another patch in my quilt. Uh, shortly thereafter, George and Molly were looking for a senior person to join their firm. Uh, and lo and behold, a door swung open. George asked me to join GEL, and I did so in 1995. Remember the saying, listen, trust, and act. Um, I saw Ed Holt in the uh, North X shortly after that. He said, Jim, for Lord's sakes, he said, Lord put you two together at church so you could go join his firm. I said, wow, I didn't know it was so simple. <laughs> Another patch in my quilt. Um, and then in 2000, uh, George and Molly went on to form Water Missions International and asked if I'd be interested in buying GEL. And of course, we said yes. And I'll tell you, through months and months of negotiations, uh, George and I never had a crossword, never, never. That's another patch. Um, 
Under George and Molly's uh, leadership, uh, jail's core values are Christian-based and remain so today and always will. Our leadership team is about 10 strong. We, we have Friday Bible studies. Um, we, we work hard together. We laugh together. We pray together. We cry together. Uh, it's been a wonderful experience for me. Um, and uh, three, three of us now have grandchildren, which is remarkable. But it's been, a, it's been a wonderful, wonderful place to be for the last 20 years. Now that I'm 65 and look back on my quilt, it's easy to see that God was in charge the whole time. You just, when you go through these things, you don't realize that he is indeed, indeed the designer. I'm a fan of C.S. Lewis, so at the risk of maybe boring you just briefly, uh, he talks about journey and mere Christianity, uh, chapter 7, entitled uh, Let's Pretend. So if you'd bear with me, I'd like to read just a little bit of the chapter, if I get my eyes focused properly. Men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to the other man. People who were not Christians themselves help me to Christianity, but usually it is those who know him that bring him to others. We must go on to recognize the real giver. It is madness not to, because if we do not, we shall be relying on human beings, and that is going to let us down. The best of them will make mistakes. All of them will die. We must be thankful to all the people who have helped us. We must honor them and love them, but never never pin your whole faith on any human being, not if he is the best and wisest in the whole world. There are lots of nice things you can do with sand, but do not try building on it. And now we begin to see what is this New Testament is always talking about. It talks about Christians being born again. It talks about them putting on Christ, about Christ being formed in us, about coming to have the mind of Christ. Put, put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and to try to carry it out as a man may read what Plato or Marx said and try to carry it out. They mean something much, much more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now in that very room where you're saying your prayers is doing things to you. It is not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It is a living man, still as much a man as you and still as much of a God as he was when he created the world, really coming and interfering with your very self, killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods. Finally, it goes on well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing, into a little Christ, a being with its own, which in its own small way has the same kind of life as God, which shares his power, joy, knowledge, and eternity. Um, after the first few steps in Christian life, you realize that everything which really needs to be done in our souls can be done only by God. It is God who does everything. Um, in closing, um, my prayer time is in the morning, um, and like I said, I'm, I've been a very fortunate and blessed person, um, and I frequently ask him in my prayers, you know, what, what do you want me to do for the next 20 years? How, how, can, I, how can I be of service? Um, and I often ask myself, how do I answer to whom much is given, much is required? Charles Stanley charges us with the following, seek to, be the God, seek to be the man God created you to be. These are very personal and personally difficult questions for me. 
I so wish I could do a Google search and find out what the answer is, but I can't. That doesn't work. Uh, I am, however, comforted by Psalm 32, verse 8, and I, and I will paraphrase here. I will instruct you. I will show you the way. I will advise you and watch over you. My job will be to listen, trust, and act. Thank you, and I uh, enjoy being here. <laughs>